to another Ask Me Anything. Today, we have Andy8052 from Fractional. Fractional is a place, a new project just came out where you can actually fractionalize an NFT or you can buy a fraction of an NFT. This is a really cool NFT money primitive, I suppose, David, because I know you're in the market for a crypto puck, mm-hmm. right? You're still in the market for one? Yeah, I submitted my bid yesterday, but it took me a while to like get over the hump of allowing that Ether to re- be removed from my wallet. I'm, as people That's know, I'm an Ether maxi. Uh, and so parting with a whole CryptoPunks worth of Ether was a was a tough decision. Bid hasn't been accepted yet, though. So so maybe I use this. You can still change your mind. You can still change well, your mind. So, if you do change your mind, instead of buying an mm-hmm. entire CryptoPunk with Fractional, you can actually buy a percentage mm-hmm. of a CryptoPunk. That's the idea. Maybe you want 5%, maybe you want 10%. Mm-hmm. You don't need to own the entire thing. So this is super cool, money primitive. Guys, we are going to get into it. Um, as always with these Ask Me Anythings, we are lo- live streaming on YouTube. So if you have a question, throw it into the YouTube chat. Uh, we will try to get to your question. We have a ton of questions lined up ourselves for Andy. Uh, before we begin, David, we should just mention, because it's coming up next week, the SmartCon Summit. This mm-hmm. is the uh, Chainlink Smart Contract Summit. It is going to be August 5th through the 7th. We're going to be hanging out at least on the 5th. We've got a panel that day, EIP-1559. We're going to talk about, hopefully it will have just shipped, like mm-hmm. either the day before or, or that morning. We're going to be talking about that. We've got some ETH bulls uh, on the on the panel list um, that uh, that I think you guys will recognize. But there's going to be 200 leading projects there across DeFi, NFT projects, three days of keynotes, workshops, and panels. Talk about automated market makers, layer twos, MEV, everything. This is uh, an awesome way to get educated on DeFi if you haven't yet. Best thing, it's free. Mm-hmm. Go sign up for that. We have a link in the show notes. Uh, educate yourself. Guys, we are going to be right back with Andy from Fractional. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you want to make sure that you are getting the best possible price on your trade and that you aren't paying high gas costs that you could have otherwise avoided. That's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha routes your orders across all the various DeFi exchanges on Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, and gives you the best possible prices without taking any commission. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your order across multiple liquidity sources if Matcha sees that it gets you better pricing. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pulls the liquidity for me into a single easy to use platform and that has even saved me multiple times from accidentally picking the wrong decks to trade on and accidentally getting a bad price. Matcha also allows for you to make limit orders on chain so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. New to Matcha is an integrated fiat on-ramp. You can purchase crypto directly with your credit or debit card and have that fiat be instantly traded for any token that has liquidity. When you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that is going to completely change how we use DeFi. If you've been using Ethereum for the past 12 months, you've probably noticed the high gas fees and the slow confirmation times that have been plaguing DeFi. Too many people want to use Ethereum and it doesn't have enough capacity for all of us. That's where Arbitrum comes in. Arbitrum is a layer two to Ethereum, which means Arbitrum can increase Ethereum's throughput by orders of magnitude at a fraction of the cost of what we are used to paying. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of security and decentralization. 
This is why people are calling this Ethereum's broadband moment, where we get to add performance onto decentralization and security. If you're a developer and you want to save on gas costs and make an overall better experience for your users, go to developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps building on Arbitrum. Arbitrum has been working with over 300 teams, including Ethereum's top infrastructure projects, and will be opening up to all users shortly. There are so many apps coming online to Arbitrum, so you may want to pack your bags in preparation for the great migration to the Arbitrum layer two. To keep up to speed with Arbitrum, follow them on Twitter at Arbitrum and join their Discord. Hey guys, we are back talking fractional. This is an Ask Me Anything. We have Andy8052 here. Andy is a DeFi degen, but he's turned NFT maximalist, at least recently. He's known as the guy with the crypto punk with the beanie. If you've seen him on Twitter, he just announced his new platform. That's fractional. It's a platform to fractionalize NFTs across many owners. Andy, great to have you, man. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. It's uh, exciting to be here after watching very many of these online. Dude, it's it's really exciting that uh, that like you built this and and you shipped it. I know the NFT community is super exciting, uh, excited about it. Um, NFTs are not in a bear market, despite what people may have told you a, a month ago or two months ago. This is this is boom time, man. We just had uh, Mila Kunis NFT. Uh, sell out last night. Like it, it reminded me of the old days when uh, CryptoKitties brought down the Ethereum network. Gas prices were spiking so high. So NFT bull runs is a good time to ship your product. Um, tell me, Andy, answer this question first, if you would. Why would someone want to fractionalize an NFT? Uh, tell us why. And maybe maybe define what it means to fractionalize an NFT for folks as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, and definitely NFTs are no way in a bear market. It's pretty insane. It's been a, been a pretty fun couple of months. Um, but yeah, so as far as wanting to fractionalize an NFT and kind of what that means, uh, fractionalizing an NFT is taking uh, well, currently an ERC721 token and putting it into a smart contract and generating an ERC20 token, which works basically just like the other DeFi token you would see on Ethereum or anything like that. Uh, at that point, the tokens all just kind of are, they're, they're gonna sit in your wallet like in MetaMask or, or in, in your, like your Zapper and you can trade them on Uniswap or SushiSwap or anywhere else you would so desire. And really the one main difference is that, you know, there's a, there's a scenario where you could have a buyout where the underlying NFT is purchased and then you would have a chance to redeem those uh, fractions of your NFT Ethereum to what kind of once the NFT has been pulled back out into the real world. Um, as far as why someone would want to fractionalize something, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons. Uh, one, maybe if you're a creator and you exclusively make one of one artwork and you want to have, uh, you want to try to reach a wider audience, maybe you're like if you're someone like XCopy where any one of your one of ones now is going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars but you want to try to have a way to reward all of your early adopters. You could fractionalize a piece of work and give everyone 5% of the, of the NFT fractions, for example. If you are maybe a collector and you bought some CryptoPunks that are now worth an irresponsible amount of your <laughs> portfolio, but you don't want to sell all of them, you still love your CryptoPunks. Uh, maybe you have a, an ape that's worth $4 million now and you want to fractionalize it and sell 50%. And that way you still... Kind of own that ape and you're 
you're still connected to that ape, but you can maybe be a little more responsible with your money. Uh, I don't know who would want to do that, but I'm sure there's someone out there who want, who would want to be responsible. Um, and lastly, I think a really like basic example is I have a lot of friends who have bought CryptoPunks together or bought other NFTs together, and they're just sitting in one person's wallet or they're sitting in a multi-sig. And this is just a really easy way to kind of create a trustless scenario where you all can, can hold something together. Wait, you mean uh, your friends uh, bought something together? They went in on purchasing a CryptoPunk, like they pulled their ass, like their money and bought a CryptoPunk? Yeah. yeah so I, I've done that uh, as well before. Um, but I also have friends who own like five different guys who all own one fifth of a crypto punk. Mm-hmm. Really cool. So Andy, yeah. is this specifically meant for like one NFT at a time, or could you also do like bundles of NFTs and put multiple ERC seven twenty one tokens into the same contract and then fractionalize that? Is is that also what you're going after, or is that a different product that maybe you're not as focused on? Yeah. So. Uh, I would say yes and no. It, it kind of depends. Uh, there are some really great products like NFTX and NFT20 that are focusing on kind of this like, you know, you can pool multiple NFTs that are all like kind and kind of create like this floor index of NFTs. Uh, we're not really going after after that specific use case, uh, but we do support multiple fractionalizing multiple NFTs at the same time. Uh, and a really cool example of that is there's the Arplox curated set on fractional, which is one of each of the first 31 art blocks curated uh, drops. And so that like is a really awesome basket of 31 NFTs that has a meaning and a reason why you would want to own a piece of all of them as opposed to uh, just one individual one. Um, so yes, but we also like to have kind of a little more meaning behind the baskets as opposed to just a bunch of random stuff all put together. Andy, would you say, Ryan, you're muted. Andrew, would you say that this is um, a, a financialization application of NFTs or and like as in it's less about the NFT world and more about adding finance upon a layer of NFTs? Uh, or is this also uh, unlocking cool new things specifically in the NFT realm? Uh, you know, I, I think it's it's kind of a bit of both. And it really depends on the, the person who's using the platform. Mm-hmm. In a way that that's pretty pretty cool, I think. Where um, there are some people who, after we re- launched yesterday, just said, "I'm really excited that I now own five percent of an X copy or two percent of an X copy." And so for that person, it's not a it's not a financialization thing. It's just that mm-hmm. they couldn't afford to own a full X copy, and now they now they feel like they're a collector, and that's special to them. Uh, but it does, you know, breaking down a a non-fungible token into a fungible asset does obviously unlock a lot of really powerful things that have already been made and battle tested in DeFi, which don't totally work with NFTs. And so, for example, I'm very excited about the idea of being able to use like a lending protocol with mm-hmm. a fractionalized NFT. Um, for a lot of really small NFTs that are fractionalized, it might not make sense. It might, you know, we probably are going to need some new products and new primitives to be built as far as how those would work. But if you have a an NFT that's Say like the people uh, first 5,000 days that sold for $69 million. That's a large enough NFT where if you were to fractionalize that, there's a, you could make a good case that, you know, either Maker should support that or Aave or, or Compound. Um, so there definitely are going to be cool use cases that can be unlocked like that for some of the really high value stuff. Um, and then there's also, you know, there's so many cool things that are being built in DeFi. And so this does allow NFTs to be plugged into those relatively seamlessly. 
Andy, I have a quick question just to clarifying when you were talking about um, how, how like this is set up to begin with. So if let's say somebody owns, um, you know, 51% of a CryptoPunk and I own 49%, um, who, who decides uh, whether that CryptoPunk could be sold? I think you mentioned something to the effect of like, if I am maybe a minority uh, fractional owner of that CryptoPunk, then I, if, if it is sold, then I um, get the ETH proceeds from that sale. Is that how it works? Or like who actually decides how this thing could be sold? And if I'm a, maybe a minority owner, um, am I just kind of along for the ride? I just get, you know, in bursts. I don't have a choice in whether this thing is sold or not. How does that work? Yeah. Good question. Um, so probably this, that whole portion of the platform is probably the most complicated part of what we're doing. Um, and it just kind of comes by the, the nature of the beast. It's, it's a hard mechanism design to, to build around just in general, okay, you fractionalize an NFT, how do you put it back together? And that, that it's pretty important. Mm. Um, the way that our, we call it a buyout, the way that our buyout system works is we have uh, a reserve price, which is if you've ever bid on something on like Zora or Foundation, when an auction hasn't started yet, they have their reserve price that once someone deposits that amount of Ethereum, then an auction will actually start and it'll create like a 24 hour auction. Our system works relatively similar in so much as we always have a live reserve price where someone can come in and deposit that amount of Ethereum to start a buyout. The buyouts are a little bit longer. They default to seven days and uh, could be anywhere from three to, to 14 based on kind of what the initial person who fractionalizes the NFT thinks is best. Uh, so with the live reserve price, anyone who holds tokens is able to vote on what they think the reserve price should be. And we take a weighted average of everyone's votes at any given time to decide what the reserve price is. So if you will say in a situation where you owned 49% and someone else owned 51%, the 51% person would have a slightly larger say in, in the reserve price uh, than you would. But one other important caveat there is we also have a minimum quorum of 50%. So you don't have to set a reserve price. And if you are, if less than 50% of of the fr fractional token holders are not setting a reserve price, then it's essentially not for sale. And you would need 51% to all agree that, basically to come to say, we agree that it should be sold. Uh, they don't have to all agree on the exact same reserve price, but they have to agree that the piece is for sale. Okay, so in order for the CryptoPunk to be sold, over 50% of the fractional owners effectively have to um, like agree that the thing should be sold. And then the remaining, you know, call it 49%, if there's 51 who wants to sell this thing, the remaining 49%, they would be along for the ride, but they also get to like vote on the price at which they'd sell it proportional to their fraction of, of ownership. So they're along for the ride in that, like it's a forced sell if you're a minority uh, owner, I guess. Um, but, uh, you do have some influence into the price at which you sell. Is that the case? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so say, you know, say the 60% of token holders all want, all have agreed that, say one guy owns 60% and he's like, I want to sell this thing for 10 Ethereum. But then you own 20% and you're like, no, I think that's way too low. I want to sell it for 25 Ethereum. Um, we the, the reserve price then at that point would be, you know, based on the math and your average, like your, token weights somewhere in between those two desired prices. 
Interesting. Why why do some token tell me the logic between behind why some token holders can dictate the prices that others sell their tokens at? Isn't that kind of like getting in the way of the free market? Uh no, I think there's a little bit of confusion here. So right. it's not that uh, yeah, I am confused. basically so essentially if you do not set a reserve price, uh -huh. you essentially have set your reserve price to zero. That's okay. that's what the default is. And so when you have set your reserve price to zero, you are not voting on a live reserve price. You said, I, I'm actively not participating in this. Mm -hmm. Everyone who is actively setting a reserve price is creating the current live market for what this NFT can be bought at. As long as 51% of people are actively voting on that reserve price, then it is effectively for sale. And if you come in and say, hey, if you're one of the people who isn't voting and you think people are voting poorly, you can then actively start to vote as well and have an active vote and say in what the price should be. Uh, and so then at that point, say you had 10% of the tokens and 51% were voting at any given time, then there'd be 61% voting because you've now started to also mm. be a part of the group of people who are token holders and voting. So it's, it's, it's like essentially an opt-in uh, vote of what any NFT should be sold at at any given time. Um, and you have as much agency as you want in that system to participate. And if you don't feel like participating, you don't have to. But assuming majority wants to, that's what's going to win out. So where in the process does this uh, reserve price and voting actually become relevant? So this, this is not when after, this is some point after where somebody who owns a high value NFT comes to, to fractional, put it in the contracts, and then they fractionalize it those fractionalized tokens go out into into the world into into all of, all throughout ethereum and then once people buy those fractionalized tokens that's when this voting takes place to dictate the reserve price for future buyers who are now interested in the secondary market market of these tokens is that correct yeah so essentially the the reserve price is uh just for anyone who would want to buy the entire nft Ah, so, ah, okay. so for example, currently, ah. uh, like taking a very explicit example of like the Arplox curated um, fractionalized bundle, based on numbers that I had from like this morning, it might be different now. The the live like trading valuation of mm -hmm. the Arplox curated bundle was about 175 Ethereum. Mm -hmm. um, the reserve price was 230 Ethereum. So essentially, token holders were saying that you know even though we're hold like. The, the tokens are currently trading at one particular valuation. Right. We are not comfortable selling the entire bundle of them unless someone were to start an auction at 230. Okay. And so this is actually how you can give assurances to DeFi apps like Maker or Aave or Compound to use these tokens as collateral because uh, if they were to ever be sold, and that was one of the, my questions is that like, if you can actually forcibly sell these tokens, um, that is that's scary for a DeFi app because then the token well it sounds like it'll just get revoked from a collateral in MakerDAO or Compound. But because you can give assurances that it's going to be sold for a certain amount of value, you can actually uh, tell you know Aave Compound is like well the token is going to get revoked, but instead it's going to be Ether there as a replacement, and Ether's the best collateral in DeFi. Yeah, and that was actually like a really important part of kind of how we were building this is. So say there is a buyout and all of a sudden, so you, you own some tokens for the, the five eyes mm -hmm. X copy piece and you have them deposited in Uniswap and you're providing liquidity. If there's a buyout and 
uh, now you have some redeemable amount of Ethereum, it's your tokens don't go anywhere. They basically are now just pegged to some mm -hmm. amount of Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then at that point, you can, whenever you're ready, pull those out of Uniswap and then go to the go to Fractional and redeem those tokens and get your Ethereum. So uh, Andy, you and I are, are both a part of uh, PleaserDAO. You're a much more uh, active member, member than I am, but PleaserDAO is famous for owning a bunch of high value NFTs. Uh, and I would imagine that PleaserDAO would be very, very interested in leveraging this platform in order to get further and further liquidity on their, on their NFTs. Uh, so this seems to be like um, a perfect product for specifically high value NFTs with a lot of prestige to them to see how, how liquid can we actually make these things. And I think that's actually going to be the big experiment coming out of uh, Fractional is a question of like, how liquid can we actually make like the Edward Snowden NFT or the people pleaser NFT? Um, so that's actually kind of a question to you. Like, I know this is entirely speculation. Fractional is just a couple couple days old, um, but how liquid do you think these things can get? Yeah, you know, who knows? I think one of the one of the fun challenges with this is trying to figure out what the best way for people for there to be secondary market trades of these things. And like right now, we're super actively not participating in that. Um, you, if you if you fractionalize something and you want people to be able to trade it, you can go to Uniswap and make a liquidity pool. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been pretty surprising so far. Uh, I guess I've never really had used Uniswap V3 with. Um, some of the like a significantly lower value asset. So for example, I think the the five eyes fully diluted valuation is maybe like four hundred and fifty thousand dollars or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. uh, which naturally, if you wanted to try to trade any like serious amount of value there to buy into that, you'd expect really bad slippage. But people were providing liquidity on Uniswap V three, and it, it really wasn't very bad. It, I, I was really impressed. It was. I think there was almost like $300,000 of volume in the first day of buying these, uh, these NFT fractions, which is really cool. Uh, right. Ryan, you're muted. Did you say $300,000 of value? Of volume. Yeah. Of volume. Of volume. Yeah. Buying and trading five eyes. Yeah. Hmm. I, what, so what's super interesting here is I'm kind of like racking my brain. I mean, like there, there's, there's some things, um, that I feel like, um, you know, are, are natural to share, right? Like I'll, you know, I'll share my bike. Uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I have a, a pizza. I'll share a slice of pizza with <laughs> you. Right. And then like, there are other things where like in life, you kind of want your own, you know, like I'm not sharing my underwear with anyone, you know, like that's mine. <laughs> right. Like, but like art is sort of interesting because um, you haven't previously in the physical world been able to share it. Right. If you think about like a, um, you know, a Banksy piece of art. It's not like you can take that piece of art and like chop it into pieces and like give it to you, all your friends. Or it's not like you can like get a thousand people and go in on a piece of art and each own some percentage of what you're, you know, where you're trying to best because these are like physical things. Like, you know, I don't want just a, a slice of a painting. I want the whole painting in my house. I, I can't fractionalize it. But with NFTs, you can fractionalize it. Um, I guess maybe my question is, this is like a, it's not just a new primitive for DeFi. It's a new primitive for ownership in general, if that makes sense. And like, I'm wondering what it's like, because I've never owned a, a collectible with a group of strangers, 
right? If I had Magic the Gathering cards, like they were mine. Like they weren't mm -hmm. mine plus my friends. We didn't like pull things together. They were just mine. What is it like to own a collectible with a, a group of friends or a group of even a group of strangers that you have to share? Is some of the magic lost when you do that of like owning a specific thing? You know, I think sometimes probably, and it depends kind of what your goals are, what your end game is. Um, but I think there's also something really awesome about it because like one of the things that's been very evident in crypto and Ethereum and primarily and NFTs especially is like community is so important with all this stuff. And there's something to be said for having a random group of people all who came together in a decentralized protocol online who now all have a vested interest in this thing and maybe they want to display it in crypto voxels and they say in order for you to see it you have to own one percent of the of the nft fractions or if you want to like have your name on the plaque to own it and you can create these like really really cool communities and stuff and that's something i'm really excited to like continue to build we haven't had a ton of time to really start getting into that yet because we've been trying to build much more of an mvp but i think that you know with the right with the right technology and the right tools in place it can actually be like very empowering to the group of people who are all owning this thing together. Uh, but there definitely is always a time and place where people want to say like, look at this badass thing that I own myself. And it's just kind of is two different scenarios. Andy, we were uh, talking earlier about uh, the blasphemous nature of putting a crypto punk as your avatar if you don't actually own it. But when it comes down to the world of fractionalizing it, like, where do you think that line is? Uh, and I know this is kind of only going to be determined by social consensus, but I want to get your opinion. So like, say, say somebody fractionalizes a, an alien crypto punk that they own and they only fractionalize 49% of it. So they still own 51%. Are they still allowed to have that alien punk as their avatar? That's a really good question. It's, it's a really funny, you would be shocked. I, maybe not. I hear that question all the time, mm -hmm. but the funniest part is I get people who ask me, they're like, am I allowed to use this? Like, yeah, no. <laughs> I, am, I am not the Twitter police. I don't, I don't really care what you make your profile picture. Uh, but so there was people were talking about this on Twitter spaces on Monday. And it seems like a lot of people were basically saying, yeah, if, if you own a percentage of this thing, even a small amount, like you own it, do what you want with it. Uh, I'm sure some people will give, give someone a hard time or be like, oh, you don't actually own the full thing. Um, but I, th I think in general, if you can signal that you are in some way like attached to this thing, people will probably get over it and, and be okay with it. But it'll be very interesting to see how that all plays out. I, I don't really know. I, it'd be awesome to be able to have some type of representation of your, your ownership, like in the profile picture and what that looks like. And it's something we're pretty actively thinking about is how do you maybe issue a special NFT to someone who owns 10% of an, of an NFT or something like that. And maybe That's you could use that instead. As you're talking, Andy, it's it's just crazy how all of this is like, it's all socially enforced, isn't it? It's all layer zero enforced, right? Like, you know, are you allowed to have a CryptoPunk in your Twitter avatar if you only own 1%? Um, well, it's not really up to, I, I mean, there's there's nothing legally. You're not going to get thrown in jail if you do that, right? There's no there's no Ethereum police Twitter, or Twitter jails, right? But like, <laughs> you know, there, there could be some social stigma attached to doing that like you could be a larper you could be a poser you could like not be achieving the signal that you're trying to achieve with 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 crypto punks it's so fascinating but 
I, I do wonder, just to follow up on David's question, if this could potentially cause actually an unintended side effect, which is like a dilution of mm. the value of some of these things. So if it comes to pass that social consensus says, hey, if you own over 10% of a crypto punk, you're allowed to use it as your avatar or you're allowed to like, you know, f- flash it around in, in social media. Um, does that dilute the value of owning an entire CryptoPunk? And could that decrease the value of CryptoPunks over time? What are your thoughts on that thought exercise? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting question. I would say no, uh, primarily because even if you, if social consensus was 10% of a CryptoPunk means used as your profile picture, that's still at most 100,000 people in the entire world who could use a CryptoPunk as their profile <laughs> picture. Um, and now if you're making the barrier to entry even lower for getting to that point, you probably actually have more people who'd be interested. I think if you told people that you could own a CryptoPunk for $5,000 right now, and there were you know, 100 million of them, you probably would have a lot of a lot of demand to, to do that. Um, I, think it, I think in general, like Society is always going to appreciate owning single things, especially like the uber wealthy. Like, realistically, someone who can afford to buy an alien CryptoPunk is probably not very interested in owning a fraction of like a zombie CryptoPunk. That's not, it doesn't really do anything for them outside of maybe, you know, they want to be a part of a particular community that springs up around one or something. And so people like to, emulate really wealthy people in in life in a lot of ways. Um, And so I I do think that there is always going to be demand to own, to own individual ones, uh, regardless of whether or not you can own own fractions. I I think I'll, I think I buy that Andy. I think that 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 could very well be the case. Now I'm going to, I'm going to flip this and give maybe the, the bull case for NFTs with something like fractional that's out there, which is like, you are providing this, this protocol is providing NFTs, um, something in the finance world, uh, they would call a liquidity premium, right? So like NFTs are not super liquid. In, like uh, ERC-20s are much more liquid. Um, but NFTs, you kind of have to sell all or nothing essentially. But you are taking a an illiquid asset <clears throat> and essentially creating a, a protocol to unlock the liquidity of underlying all of these assets. And I wonder if that's actually could contribute to uh, NFTs as a whole being more valuable because, hey, I, I'm not locked into owning my you know, $50 million Beeple piece forever if I buy it, right? Like I can always sh- like sell 90% of it and still keep 10% at any point in time. So I'm un- I-, I get some additional value from that purchase because uh, I'm not locked in, because there is this liquidity, liquidity premium uh, that now Fractional has kind of added to all NFTs. So I do think this could be a, a boon for the space. And this protocol could actually increase the value of all of the NFTs that are in existence, particularly the more expensive NFTs. What's your take on that? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. It was actually, that was kind of how I started thinking about doing fractional in the first place, funny enough. So I was very early in NBA Top Shot and I was like one of the largest spenders on the platform for a long time. I was basically just yield farming during the <laughs> summer and buying <laughs> basketball moments. Um, and 
as I was buying more expensive stuff, I was having, you know, there was a ton of people like the, the, the floor level moments on the site were just like flying like crazy, but it was, you know, harder to sell something that was $50,000 or a hundred thousand dollars. Um, and so I was like, okay, I want to buy this thing. And I think it's actually worth a million dollars or will be, but who is the market of people who want to do that? But there's a lot of demand for these cheaper things. And I think in general, if, if you have something like CryptoPunks is the easy example, but I, I think that CryptoPunks aren't going anywhere. Uh, it's very easy to make the case of why someone wants to own a floor CryptoPunk. Uh, I think it's very easy to make the case of why you would want to own an alien CryptoPunk right now, assuming you could afford it. But there's kind of this thought of like, okay, if I'm going to spend $10 million on an alien CryptoPunk, and I think that it's like a hundred X undervalued. And this thing is going to be worth a billion dollars one day. Who is the billionaire who wants to buy (laughs) a $1 billion alien crypto punk? Yeah. That's like the hard conversation to have, but I bet there are, you know, a hundred thousand people who want to buy a piece of a billion dollar alien crypto punk, just to Mm -hmm. say that Mm -hmm. this is so cool. I own the rarest of the rarest NFTs. And uh, I, I think it unlocks something there. That's really, really powerful. Uh, and and it helps people feel more confident making really high-end purchases where they don't want to be the greater fool, but it's not even like necessarily a greater fool. It's just like a, there's no one richer than me to buy this thing from. (laughs) Andy, I see this project falling in line with two very big themes that we've seen in DeFi over there. Well, DeFi really over the last three years, but really we've identified it lately, it's capital efficiency. All DeFi apps are evolutions on capital efficiency and what what fractional seems to me is capital efficiency for nfts like that was what ryan's question was and that was what we were talking about right now it's like how can we make nfts which are inherently a financial asset right like anything that's a token on ethereum is inherently part of DeFi by the very nature of it being a token and now we are getting into the world of capital efficiency for nfts uh so my question to you is like is this just the start? Like, what, what, what do you think? And especially as someone who is paying attention to the quote unquote NFT bear market, which actually wasn't a bear market apparently, uh, what, what do you see the trend coming from all these applications that are being built in the quote unquote NFT bear market? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that kind of what we're doing right now with NFTs is really, really just, just like the most low hanging fruit available. And so mm-hmm. like it's the, the correlation or just like moving from real world collectibles to digital collectibles. It just makes so much sense. It's very easy. It's the easiest pitch in the book. Uh, It gets more complicated when you say, what if you have like all of the non-fungible assets in the world are now non-fungible assets on the blockchain and all these different types of things. And so I'm really, really excited about what it looks like when, you know, we're fractionalizing charged particles or we're fractionalizing Uniswap V3 liquidity positions. Although those don't like totally make sense. I sure. had a long conversation with some of the guys from, yeah. from Uniswap about it and we came to the conclusion, maybe it's not the best thing. Uh, but just in general, the idea I'm very excited about as DeFi finds itself in places where there are these non-fungible assets that represent different positions and different things that are happening in protocols, uh, that's going to be like a massive, massive place to fractionalize things. And, you know, maybe you have an NFT that represents vesting tokens that vest over the next two and a half years. And you can fractionalize that and kind of sell at a discount because you want to get out of your position earlier, or you have like all these different weird things that could be happening or insurance positions, or there's a lot of different fun stuff that can happen there. 
Guys, we are going to be back with Andy in just a minute. We've got so much more to cover, including some questions that are coming in. Want to find out what exposure to fractional NFT gives you versus something like NFTX. Uh, talk about how Andy launched this. Talk about some of the wilder use cases you can imagine in the future. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Living a bankless life requires taking control of your own private keys, not your keys, not your crypto. That's why so many in the bankless nation already have their Ledger hardware wallets, which makes proper private key management a breeze. But the Ledger ecosystem is more than just a secure hardware wallet. Ledger is the combination of the Ledger hardware wallet and the Ledger live app. And if you're used to seeing all of your crypto services and favorite dApps all in one place, Ledger is where you want to be. Not only does Ledger let you buy crypto assets straight from the app, but it also hooks into decentralized exchange aggregators like Paraswap, which makes sure that you are getting the best prices on your trades without your assets ever leaving your control. DeFi never stops growing and the Ledger Live app grows alongside with it. So click the link in the show notes to see all the DeFi apps that Ledger Live has and stay tuned as more and more apps come online. And if you don't have a Ledger hardware wallet, what are you even waiting for? Go to ledger.com, grab your ledger, download Ledger Live, and get all of your dApps all in one place. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. All right, guys, we are back with Andy. We're talking all about fractional NFTs and the new protocol called Fractional, which allows you to turn your NFTs into fractions. <laughs> really exciting <laughs> protocol. Um, I, I've been pumped while uh, Andy's been talking about this. It's really unlocking some new use cases. You know, I want to ask about kind of the NFT speculators. Like after a certain you know, fashion, NFTs are the purest form of speculation. Like, I respect that. You know, remember that the ICOs of 2017, you thought you were actually buying like, something valuable, like some sort of money, maybe some utility token, whatever that was mm -hmm. like NFTs are just flat out. Like it's worth whatever the market says it's worth, you know? And like, I, I appreciate that and respect that. So people want to speculate on these NFTs. And I think there are a lot of folks that um, don't have the time maybe that, that uh, we have in crypto and maybe that you've spent on this, Andy, being a NFT maximalist and like figuring out the next hot NFT project before it happens, like getting into NBA top shots when it was just like a new thing, for example. And they want exposure to this asset class. Um, there is a platform called NFTX that I think you mentioned earlier, which we've talked about before on Bankless. And I think what this allows you to do basically is, is get exposure to sort of CryptoPunks, 
as a class or, um, you know, mask uh, NFTs as a class, an entire asset class, and allows you to sort of speculate on that. It seems to me fractional is doing something different where it's giving you exposure not to like an entire class of assets, like all the CryptoPunks or all of the mask NFTs. Uh, it's giving you exposure to a specific piece, like a specific NFT in itself, um, fractional exposure to that. I think that's the way of looking at it, but how would you kind of compare and contrast NFTX versus fractional and the use cases for somebody who just wants to speculate in this space and bet on the next big NFT? Yeah, I actually think, I think you did a really good job kind of explaining it. Um, but yeah, and NFTX typically uh, is going to track with, uh, with the floor price of any given collection. So it, tracks pretty closely to the floor of CryptoPunks with like their punks uh, vault. And that is like great for what it is. It works really nicely. I'm a big fan of NFTX. I've used it before and it like unlocks some very cool things you can do. Uh, but as you were saying, like, I think it struggles. It has struggled to find a way to handle significantly more expensive things like their the zombie punk vault that they, or like uh, index mm. that they have. It doesn't see very much volume and I'm surprised by that because it like I think people would like to have exposure to zombie punks given the given the choice to um, and I think it just kind of comes with the nature of how valuable the assets inside of them are that it just gets really hard you can't totally scale it unless you had just an insane amount of liquidity coming into it um, it's very hard to get one full punk zombie share from NFTX to ever redeem one right. and so yeah, I think that's where fractional kind of can step in and play a really nice role where it would never make sense to put an alien CryptoPunk in, in NFTX in its current form, but it works very nicely in fractional where if some people might just want to have exposure to the best of the best and kind of uh, really focus on like super high-end NFTs or really, really rare one-of-ones or, or stuff like that. And that's kind of the major difference. But as I said, you did a good job explaining it. Is there a case where something like NFTX could actually tap into the power of fractional and kind of improve exactly what your concerns are with like not really being able to offer exposure to all of the full spectrum of, of punks, but now that you can fractionalize more punks and more varieties of punks, could NFTX kind of solve some of the concerns you just talked about? Yeah, I actually had a, an interesting conversation with Alex from NFTX about this. And I think there could be some really interesting solutions uh, for primarily something like a zombie punks where say we basically would make uh, a special way to signal that this is a fractionalized uh, like zombie crypto punk and then you could deposit those fractions into nftx or nftx could just do that on the back end when you deposit zombie crypto punks and so then you could basically nftx would act as an index of all the different fractionalized zombie crypto punks and you could withdraw a piece of that, which would just be, you know, some percentage of one of the particular zombie crypto punks, as opposed to uh, having to withdraw an entire one. And it would almost act as like a like a set protocol-y style uh, wrapping system around fractional, which would help unlock some some really interesting liquidity and more like just taking price action on the on the asset class. So Andy, I'm curious how fractional would handle situations where you have an NFT that has some like utility um, in say a game. Like let's say I have a Gods Unchained card, for example. It's a very rare card, very expensive card, 
but like um, that needs to be used in in the gameplay of Gods Unchained inside of my deck, right? Um, how would that work? Or is Fractional really not set up to do that? It, you know, maybe it's the case that Fractional is just kind of set up to give you sort of upside exposure into the value of that. But when it comes to utility, you have to kind of reform the thing together in order to get utility in a gaming platform like Gods Unchained or Axes. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so for our current version, basically one of the things we wanted to make sure that we could do was allow a lot of uh, security for the for the users who are buying these NFT fractions to not have to worry that there's going to be a governance vote that rug pulls them and moves the NFT out or something like that. And so you can't interact or like use any of the it starts to get significantly more burdensome for the for all these NFT fraction holders to have to be watching for governance votes and all the things that go along with that. But what I'm what we've been actively thinking about, and I think this will probably be some part of some later versions, is uh, very specific fractionalization for different assets that have utility. Where, say, maybe for an Axie, we partner with Yield Guild, and the one thing that your Axie can do when it's fractionalized is like be given to Yield Guild to be lent out to a scholar. And so it has very, very specific function calls that would allow for very specific and like safeguarded actions. So that way you don't have to worry that you know, you're going to wake up and someone 50% of the token holders voted to just transfer it to a random wallet or something like that. So to, at right now we will not support it, but in the long term, I think we can make ways for people to feel safe, but also be able to support these cool and interesting utilities. Andy, a question I have is uh, regarding the metaverse and everyone kind of has their own definition for the metaverse. And so I actually kind of want to ask you to define the metaverse from, from your own words. And then how does fractional impact tokens in the metaverse? The metaverse is very, very tied with NFTs and, and digital assets. So question to you, what's, what is the metaverse in your words and how does fractional as a platform fit into that? Yeah, you know, I think... I don't think anyone really totally knows what the metaverse is yet. Yeah. I think that's kind of, that's part of the beauty of it. Uh, but to me, it's really just any online world where people are doing things together and interacting and like the metaverse is just going to continue to grow in how expansive and interesting it is, but it like kind of already exists. It just is basically the internet. Um, <laughs> but but what, what, I, what I'm excited about with fractional in particular, and just like, uh, NFT, NFT fractionalization in the metaverse is it actually is just like can be way more powerful than what fractionalization unlocks in the real world because it's all programmatic. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, like uh, there's an app called or there's like a, a web app called Picasso, I think, where you can fractionally own a real home with your friends, but it's all through legal documents and you like set up time. It's basically like a timeshare, honestly. Uh, what's significantly cooler, in my opinion, is you could fractionally own land in crypto voxels with your friends and it is programmatic that who gets access to this land and when they get access to it. And you can like, you don't have to require, you don't need some middleman to set this all up for you. It all just can be done on chain. Uh, or say you have fractional ownership of a piece of artwork and you're able to like only allow certain people to view it or you're able to like vote to display in a museum in a metaverse or something it like it unlocks a lot of really interesting use cases where having fractional ownership can mean so much more than just uh like just 
what it would mean in the real world where you just say, yeah, I, I own a fraction of this. Uh, instead, it can unlock a lot of really exciting things for people based on not even just utility in so much as like a Zed run course or something, but utility in displaying it and showing it off to your friends or, or using property in a metaverse or something like that. It's interesting these terms like um, like property in the metaverse that you used. You know, um, I, I was uh, reading some stuff from uh, Mark Zuckerberg uh, last week, and he, he talked about Facebook as being a uh, metaverse company, right? That's how he sees Facebook in the future, which is sort sort of interesting to me, but also like also kind of dystopian to me. Uh, if you know Facebook ends up owning all of the property on the metaverse, right? Which is why. Uh, I, I hope bankless listeners are are, are kind of um, get, you know getting this vibe from we're talking about uh, property, we're talking about ownership, right? Um, blockchain platforms, public blockchain platforms like Ethereum, are the only things that we have on the internet that allow you to own digital things. They are like property rights system systems for the internet, and they're public and they're neutral, so that Mark Zuckerberg and Google and like Apple or any of the big techs don't end up owning all of our digital property online. That's how, that's why this stuff is so important. I just wanted to fit that in there somehow, Andy, I'm, I'm wondering if you have any, uh, any reflections on that, like the importance of owning our own property on the metaverse. Why is that important to you? Yeah. Well, you know, I think what's cool about it too, with the metaverse is it's unlimited. And so it's not like, uh, what is it? Like Blackstone is apparently buying all the property in the U.S. Like <laughs> right. it's not the same. It's not the same thing. They can't just buy up all the property. Then we'll just we'll we'll make, fork we'll the make property. more. Right? It doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and and so I think that's what's really cool about it. And that's something where you know again like NFTs in general and, and fractional ownership of them and just like creating all these interesting primitives for people to have more control over what they own and how they own it and what they do with it is just like really really important and very exciting to be building. Andy, can you dream up your wildest use case for fractional? Like if somebody really wanted to like leverage fractional to an, to the nth degree, like what what's something crazy that they could really do with it? Man, I, you know, I've seen some really, really interesting stuff around like some stuff that's, it's not that crazy, but I think it'd be awesome. Like a meme marketplace where you have like every time, like the origin of every meme is a fractionalized NFT and you're able to create these marketplaces of, what makes it what what memes are popular what memes are being used and all these different types of things i think in general like the idea of of marketplaces around different fractionalized things that are like the source of truth of this is that thing and now people are able to trade trade it up or down based on its value to whatever they decide the, the value is is really fun as kind of like a slightly more realistic thing um outside of that i'm, I'm really into the ideas of like fractionally owning property, like real life property and everything that comes along with that. And like, you know, it's, it's a very long ways away, but like real world assets and everything that comes mm -hmm. along with that. And like, I'm very excited to kind of see makers start to onboard more real world collateral and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think that's going to be really huge in the, in the NFT space and in fractional. And I don't know what it's going to totally entail. And there's going to be like an incredible amount of legwork that needs to happen before it really is anything, um, tangible, but I'm very excited for that whole space to continue to grow. One of my uh, favorite subreddits, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's called our meme economy. And this, this was a, very, a popular subreddit before, before Ethereum, really before NFTs. Uh, and it's a subreddit joking about how different meme formats are propagating ac across the internet. 
And so like they, the, and it has nothing to do with crypto, right? So there's no actual money involved. It's not like Wall Street bets. It's just kind of a joke. And some popular, some, some new meme format will come out and they will identify this like, oh, this meme format is hot, like buy, buy, buy. And then, and then the meme format will like propagate throughout the internet. And then you'll start to see like Walmart start to use that meme format as like advertisements on Reddit or Twitter. And then they're like, Walmart's using the meme format, sell, time to sell, time to sell. And so like this energy is on Reddit and like there's some sort of energy to like figure out how to monetize and make like prediction markets on memes. Uh, and so like, maybe maybe that is actually what uh, Fractional uh, enables in the long term. Yeah, it's like one of those weird things where I have no idea how it would actually work or why someone would want to use it, but I've had mm -hmm. multiple people say, hey, I kind of want to use Fractional to do this. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, if multiple smart people all think this is like a, an interesting idea, I'm sure something's going to come out of it at some point. Uh, but it'd be a fun one. Andy, what's uh, on the roadmap for Fractional? Oh, man. Um, a lot of things. So kind of we have a, a lot of stuff UI, UX based um, mm. around just like making it really, I feel like Fractional can be a, gate, a great gateway to buying NFTs and, and getting involved in the crypto space in general. Uh, and also a great way to teach people about DeFi and stuff. I've had to I've been teaching a lot of people how to provide liquidity on Uniswap and all these different things who are coming from the NFT space who maybe haven't done that. And so we, there's just a ton of legwork to be done there to keep making that better and better and also make it feel really exciting to collect things. You know, what is, how do you get excited to own 1% of a, of a crypto punk? For some people, it's easy. For some people, maybe that like seeing the ERC20 token in their, in their account balance isn't that exciting because they own a million different ERC20 tokens. So that's one thing. Uh, alongside that, you know, trying to stay up to date with layer two scaling and everything that comes along with that. Um, and fortunately, we really only have to go where the most valuable NFTs are right now. We don't have to make any hard decisions of, of what's next, but uh, we're keeping very actively, we're very actively watching Optimism and Arbitrum and ZK rollups and Polygon and everything to go along with that to, to make sure that we're able to support whatever wherever there's really valuable NFTs basically and give people a good experience. And then lastly, uh, kind of like I was talking about having these specific fractionalized NFTs that are able to use their utility and really, uh, and really unlock some cool stuff and uh, some fun composability between different applications and stuff like that. So kind of a lot of things, but. So, Andy, this is really exciting. And, you know, th thanks for telling us all about the fractional. Um, uh, it's a really cool project. Glad, glad you built it. Um, in, in closing, I think we have just a couple of questions because we don't often have a, uh, an NFT maximalist mm -hmm. on the Bankless podcast. So we, we want to make sure we use uh, that, uh, that expertise here. And I'm super curious as to, like you've dabbled in these markets for a while, how do you personally go about finding the next hot NFT project? Like what attributes do you look for for the magic? Because to the to the to the amateur, this all feels very like, oh my god, it's it's meme economy. You're just kind of like shot in the dark. I don't know if this is going to be successful or or hot or not. I don't know why crypto punks are worth like what they are. Um, how do you find the next hot thing in NFTs? Yeah, to be honest, I'm not that good at it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what, but one of the nice things around it is like you don't really have to so. Where NFTs, I've noticed as someone who's been in DeFi for a long time and kind of uh, you know, doing all the DeFi stuff as well, NFTs have this layer of emotion attached to them that, a, you know, 
a valueless governance token can't really have. You can get emotionally attached to one just because you've participated and, and been active, but there's something about collecting art and something about, you know, uh, just buying something and having it be yours. And it's one of one and it's yours and that's special. That is very hard to replicate in normal markets. And so you don't always, you don't need something to be the next big thing for it to do well. You need like a few really rabid, like rabid fans who are like, this thing is amazing. I want as much of it as I, as I can get. And so an example is there was a, an art blocks drop recently called the eternal pump, which is also an amazing name. And there was this one guy who's this anonymous NFT whale who just sh showed up recently named Vincent Van Doe. And he has bought like almost a million dollars worth of this NFT over the last like week. And like, in order for you to do well buying that, you didn't need the entire market to go, oh, this is the best NFT ever. I want to buy it. You needed one whale to say, these are really cool. I want to own a bunch of them. And so it's a totally different market dynamic from like trading DeFi tokens or trading Ethereum or Bitcoin. And so I think it's just finding stuff that you think is legitimately good, where if that doesn't happen, that sucks, but you have artwork that you like. And then also trying to trying to identify like what makes, why did Vincent Van Doe want to buy a million dollars of this NFT? And it's really cool. It's a very cool generative piece, but I don't really know what made it so special to him that he wanted to do that. And trying to find whether it's a, a community that's really excited about it. And even if the price is down, maybe there's still a lot of people who are building interesting things or just talking about it a lot. And that was, you know, like art blocks. A lot of the art block stuff is like that. And it's been so crazy. And the same thing happened with CryptoPunks where they were just really, really fans who loved CryptoPunks. And eventually that like kind of spreads. It seems like what you're saying is like, stay in the community and just buy what you like. You know, yeah, I think that. that's really the Don't way to overthink go. it. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's very much so a space where even more so than, than DeFi, where one, one hit is worth like so many misses. For example, like Bored Apes. If you minted a bunch of Bored Apes because you thought they looked cool, you could have minted every other profile picture project that has come out since then. And you definitely are still doing all right for yourself. <laughs> Andy, uh, last time we talked, you talked about how you think, like, uh, you believe in the, what I've heard of the uh, crypto punk fat protocol thesis, as in, like, all, ultimately all value flows back to crypto punks. Now, unfortunately, I'm asking you this question before I get my hands on my crypto punk, not after, but I'm going to ask it to you all the same. Why do you think that's true? Yeah, so it's a hard question, and I, I think that... CryptoPunks are like this really, really special project that, so one, there's never going to be any more of them. And so that makes it very easy. Like the, you know, the Bitcoin fixed supply meme fits right in with CryptoPunks, except it's better. It's a better, it's, it's a better meme than Bitcoin's fixed supply um, because, you know, you don't have to actually secure CryptoPunks. There's other <laughs> stuff for that. <laughs> we don't have to get into that conversation. Um, and then alongside that, uh, they look cool. So a lot of people say they don't. I think they look cool, but I don't really think that matters very much. People buy very ugly clothing that costs thousands of dollars because other people say it's cool. And so that doesn't really matter. And then basically it has created the narrative that it is the first NFT project. Some people will argue it isn't. There's some other stuff called like Etheria that was really old. And right. I don't really know. It doesn't matter anymore. The narrative is it's the first NFT project. And it's like, it's kind of crossed this chasm into like, it's really, really cool to own a crypto phone. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, for me at this point, for that to change, I think Ethereum has to like fail as a project. And I'm also, you know, basically betting my entire life that that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so uh, at that point, 
like what else needs to happen for them? And I get a lot of inbound of people saying, hey, I'm trying to trade this NFT for a CryptoPunk. I'm trying to trade my five board apes for this CryptoPunk. I'm trying to trade this and this for a CryptoPunk. Uh, I don't get many, very many people who say, hey, I have a CryptoPunk. I'd love to get some of your insert other NFT here. That just like doesn't happen. That's not a, not a conversation. Uh, and there's, I think there's a reason for that. And it's because it's kind of the end game. It's, mm-hmm. it's like the ultimate NFT to own. And I will say that if you had asked me five months ago, would there be other profile picture projects that people cared about a ton? I probably would have said not for a very long time, if ever. I have changed my opinion on that a little bit just because it's very clear that 10,000 CryptoPunks isn't enough. And so there's more than 10,000 people who want to have a profile picture. And that's where Bored Apes have been really, really interesting and Cool Cats and all the other millions of ones, which ones end up like winning out of that, who knows? But I think we're going to kind of my, my latest theory on all this is we're going to have these like seasons of punks and so, or seasons of profile picture projects. And so punks is the first one. So they're like the ultimate grail profile picture NFT. And then this new wave of NFTs, they have board apes and cool cats and wicked craniums and all this other stuff. And those will all, you know, some will be worth something, some will, and then you'll have a new wave of, of stuff that comes in a couple of years, whenever there's like the next NFT right. wave of things and that they'll have their own projects. And, buy, and so that's buy, kind of buy, how I, sell, I see sell, it, sell. Yeah, exactly. But at the end of the day, there could only ever be one first NFT mm-hmm. project and one first profile picture project. And so like, no matter what narrative happens, no matter what changes, like that narrative is like set in stone. It can't go anywhere. I think that was a fantastic answer. Uh, and so my, my last uh, question to you, Andy, is, uh, and we kind of started the show with this as well, is there's been this uh, you know meme going around in the last couple of months is that NFTs are going through a bear market. Um, but people who have been paying attention to the NFT industry don't agree with that statement. So maybe you could give us, update our, our mental models as to what's been going on in the NFT industry for the past two to three years. Why, did, why do people think that it was a bear market and what's actually true? Yeah, so, you know, I think basically what happened was there was an insane amount of hype around like the Christie's auction for CryptoPunks. And CryptoPunks like went really, really crazy before then. They got mm-hmm. to like a 23 Ethereum floor or something, which is higher than they are now. Even and only by one, the floor is at twenty two right now. I know it's crazy. It's mm-hmm. it's insane. But so I think like ask me how I know. This... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. It, it was kind of like this this event that was a little bit outside of the normal hype cycle of of NFTs, where like it was very much so a uh, an event that was affirming to people's like theses and their beliefs. But it was so exciting that it kind of like ramped things up too quickly. And so then after that, naturally, there was going to be this little bit of a lull. But very soon after that, Bored Ape started to really pick up. And that was where we started to see these other profile pictures pop up while punks were kind of not moving. And so I think there was a subset of people who basically said, like, no one really seems to care about people as much as they used to. And crypto punks are going down. So it's an NFT bear market. Mm -hmm. But at that same time, like all these other NFT projects were exploding and Artblocks was really starting to pick up steam. And now, like, I mean, Artblocks is doing a couple million dollars of trading volume a day. Board Apes are doing a couple million dollars. Punks are doing millions of dollars. I mean, Axie is doing like $20 million a day Mm -hmm. in trading. It's it's crazy. Uh, I think that you have to just like kind of remap that. As I was saying before, there's so many new pockets of communities that are building up around all these different projects. And uh, and so just you can't just look at what's the CryptoPunks volume, what's the CryptoPunks floor, 
and who's buying stuff on Nifty Gateway. I think a lot of those people have moved and now they own board apes and they're aping into stuff on open sea drops and, and art blocks. And it's just kind of evolving. It's not really slowing down. Fantastic. Fascinating, Andy. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that insight too. And for updating our mental models on that. It feels like the uh, NFTs as a collectible asset class are still continuing to go up, but there are these waves of collectibles that become popular and then kind of change in and out. Right. So baseball cards to beanie babies to something else, right. Would be the, uh, the old world analogy. Now, of course we are in the NFT world and you are fractionalizing them. Thank you so much, Andy, for spending some time with us today on bank list with this, ask me anything. Yeah, thank you for having me. Guys, of course, none of this has been financial advice. Crypto is risky. DeFi is risky. NFTs are risky. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Thanks.